Let me read you something. Wilt thou be angry with us forever? Wilt thou draw thy, out thine anger to all generations? Wilt thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee? Show us thy mercy, O Lord, and grant us thy salvation. When President Reagan was in a campaign against President Carter, he made a phrase well known and used it throughout the whole campaign. And the phrase was, are you better off today than you were four years ago? Are you as close to God today as you were the day you got saved? Are you as happy in the Lord and thrilled about your relationship with God as much today as you were when you got saved? Are you as close to God? That's the reason the psalmist said, Revive us again, O God, that we may rejoice in thee. The world, the devil, the flesh, and a lot of times our kinfolks are constantly trying to rob us of the joy of God's salvation. The book of Philippians is outlined in four ways, four chapters. And those four chapters is the Apostle Paul telling us that everything about us is trying to rob us of our joy in the Lord Jesus Christ. He uses one chapter and points out that things can rob us of the joy of God's salvation. Things. Things that we put in a higher priority than God. Things that interrupt even our relationship with our family. Another chapter, he explains that circumstances the devil will use circumstances to rob us of our joy, regardless of what it is. Another chapter, he says that people can rob us of our joy. This morning, that hurt me. I don't know. I'm too old to sneeze like that anymore. i got to slip up on them. I wish I could sneeze like that. That sounded like it felt good, didn't it? All right. If you would, please, I want you to turn your Bible to the book of Acts, chapter number 19. Uh, chapter number 19 of the book of Acts. And I think a great, great text and a great subject matter and a wonderful a wonderful story. I love reading the Bible. 
There's all kinds of drama, entertainment in the Bible. If you'll just read it and listen to it, today is one of the funniest stories that I've read in all of the Word of God. I mean absolutely funny. I think they need to put it on Christian television. I really do. I think Paul and Jan would look good in this context. <laughs> We're going to have fun, I can tell that already. <laughs> look in your Bible now, if you would, please. Don't get mad at me. Get mad at the Bible if you want to. The Bible says in Acts chapter 19 and verse 11, And God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul. Little short, squint-eyed Jewish fella who got saved all over one day in Acts chapter number 9 and never got over it till he took his head off. So that from his body were brought under the sick handkerchiefs and ap or aprons and the disease that departed from them and the evil spirits went out of them. Then certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists, took upon them to call over them that had evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, We adjourn you by Jesus whom Paul preached. And there were seven sons of one Sceva, a Jew that, and chief of the priests, which did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are ye? They must have felt right then they were in trouble. I was witnessing one time years ago in a barbecue place. They just happened to serve booze. I'd like to tell you I was there soul winning, but I was just there losing, not winning. Little short squatty fella about this tall, five foot in all directions. Stood up, you couldn't tell he's standing up because he wasn't much taller than the stool at the barbecue place. Better than seeing a bar stool. And he said, I want the biggest, meanest, roughest guy in this place to stand up because I'm going to whoop a devil out of him. I was glad I was skinny. And so the fellow who owned the bar did not, I mean the barbecue place, <laughs> did not want the furniture disturbed. So he reached across the bar with one of those little flapjacks with lead in the end of it, about that big around. And he just took that flapjack and he hit that little short squatty fellow right on top of the head. <laughs> And the floor just vibrated. <laughs> I said, I'm glad I'm not a short, squatty fellow right about then. 
That little fella shook his head and said, Robert, you shouldn't have done that. And that's when the party started. The minute he looked at Robert and said, you shouldn't have done that, Robert knew he was in a whole lot of trouble. When these renegade Jewish exorcists confronted this evil, demon-possessed individual and said, Now I adjourn thee by the Jesus I don't know. Now Paul knows him, but I don't know him. I adjourn thee, come out. And they looked at him. Can you imagine through those glassy, deep, frightening eyes? He looked at those seven vagabond, drifting, irresponsible, shiftless wanderers and said, Paul, I know. Jesus I know but who are you the devil knows his enemies and if you're not an enemy you're not very high on the devil's list now notice this can get pretty exciting And the man in whom the evil spirits was leaped on them, overcame them, and prevailed against them. Now, those three terms means he really whooped them. I mean, they wasn't whipped. They got whooped. That they fled out of that house naked, <laughs> and wounded. Wonder what that would do for the Christian broadcasting company. <laughs> and this was known to all the Jews and Greeks also dwelling in Ephesus. And fear fell on them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. Many of them also, which used curious arts, brought their books together and burnt them before all men. They counted the price of them, found it. 50,000 pieces of silver. I don't know how they equate this, but I was reading in the commentaries this morning that it equivalent to about a million dollars worth of curious arts and books and computers and iPads and cell phones. So mightily grew the word of God and prevail. Let me pray, and then for about five or ten minutes, 
uh, we'll talk about ingredients for revival. Revive us again, O God, that thy people may rejoice in thee. Our Father, today I pray that you'd please now take the word of God, and Lord, may we use it as a reference point. May we use it as a a compass, dear God, to keep us on track. Lord, I pray that you'd please bless every individual in this place, every home that's represented, every husband, every wife, mom and dad, and every child that's represented today. And I pray for that lonely one. I pray for that angry one. I pray for that one who's confused and frustrated. Lord, I ask you today, please meet the need of every person in this place. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I just believe with all my heart the Apostle Paul was given the devil a fit. I do not believe the Apostle Paul was seeker-friendly at all. I do not believe he was too worried about somebody getting mad and not coming back. Everywhere that little evangelist missionary, Jewish, Pharisee went, people got excited. Everywhere he went, people got excited. If you go back with me to Acts chapter 16, you see him stopping over at Philippi on his second missionary journey. And he goes down by the riverside and meets a lady dressed in purple by the name of Lydia. And the Bible says that he sat there and preached the gospel to them. And the Bible said that God opened the heart of Lydia and she got saved. You go down just a few more verses and you find him there casting out an evil spirit out of an individual. And then in verse number 24, I think it is, you find him in jail. At verse 25 or verse 24 who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast and stocked. You know, if you get revival, you may not be real comfortable. If God sent revival in this place, he may send what accompanies revival, problems, issues, suffering, discontent, people that don't dress like you think you ought to dress. (laughs) people that's addicted on things that you're not addicted on, but of course you're as addicted as they are on things that they're not addicted on. You know what? If God really came, got got a hold of this place, folk might just stumble in you and get saved every once in a while. And they might find the folks here that really needs the Lord. And so, you see, if God is in a situation, notice what happens when you're in jail, verse 25. The Bible says at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard him. Everywhere Paul went, something happened. Everywhere Paul went, God was honored. Everywhere he went, the word of God is preached. Everywhere he went, somebody got mad and somebody got glad. And you know it'll be the same way here today. Some will get glad and some will get mad. And some won't even get. They'll get mad and stay mad. (laughs) And I just wish you'd get glad and stay glad. Well, he leaves Philippi and he goes down to Berea, Acts chapter 17, 
and verse 10. Acts 17, verse 10. And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night into Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. Now these were more noble than the Thessalonians, and they received the word of God with all readiness of mind, searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. Therefore, many of them believed also of the honorable women, which were Greeks and of men, not a few. But when the Jews of Thessalonica had knowledge that the word of God was preached of Paul at Berea, they came thither also and stirred up the people. Then immediately the brethren sent Paul away, ran him out of town. Everywhere he goes, something happened. People either get right or they get wrong. They either have rebellion or revival. I'd like to have something around here instead of just a holy hush. <laughs> well, he left there, he left Berea, and he went down to Corinth, chapter 18 and verse 1. In chapter 18, after these things, Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth. Verse 4, and he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. Verse 5, and when Silas and Timotheus were come from Macedonia, Paul was pressed in the spirit, testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. Verse 8, and Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all of his house. Many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. Then spake the Lord to Paul in a night vision, Be not afraid, but speak, hold not thy peace. I wish a lot of preachers would do that today. Quit tiptoeing to the tulip, start preaching the word of God again. The old Puritans used to say, you got to plow deep for the seed to come up. How long since you heard anybody plow deep? Nobody wants to plow deep anymore. They want somebody to tell them how good it is and how good they are and how well things are going and how we'd like to have you back next week. I just wonder how much of our plowing is in vain. How much confidence in folks who get saved on Sunday and you never see them again for months or so. Plowing deep. Paul was a deep plower. He wasn't worried about what people thought is word more by what God thought. Well, he's, he's kind of a crazy kind of guy. Hold not thy peace, for I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee, for I have much people in this city. And he continued there a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. Everywhere Paul went, something Somebody got excited. Somebody got revived. Somebody got mad. The church in Paul's day was on the rise. God was absolutely having a heyday, and revival was breaking out. Could I please ask you to do something? Would you pray that our church remains a church? and not a social club? Uh, would you pray that God would send revival to our church because if it does not send revival to our church, it will not continue to be a church? 
that'll just be a meeting place for folk to get together socially one hour a week and become social friendly, preaching a social gospel, seeking to please people instead of God, and see no conversion, no repentance, and sin will fill our pews. And pretending Christianity will sit around like everything's all right while living steeped in sin, all because society is accepting a certain lifestyle. Should this place, should this place stay churchy? Should this be our rule book, our compass, our guide? May I say to you today, the way that people are going, the way our people are going, within 10 years, this will be just like all the rest of them. Already, worldly music is creeping into some of you folk. Well, I can handle it, you say. You know, that's what them other folks said. I know what I can handle watching television. How's your Christianity working? Are you better off spiritually today than you were four years ago? If you're not, you need another president. Not of your secular life, of your spiritual life. Well, I thought maybe... This would be better than what it is. I told you years ago about a college student who was asleep in the dormitory. His friends got the wise idea to put some Lindberger cheese on his mustache. So as he was asleep, they took Lindberger cheese and smeared it all in his mustache. In a moment, he awoke, and he said, Man, it stinks in here. Out of the sheets, he jumped straight to the bathroom. He went, and after a while, they heard him say, Man, it stinks in here. He left the bathroom and went running outside, and after a while they heard him say, I believe the whole stinking world is rotten. It stinks out here. You can lie. I think the whole world is rotten. Steeped in sin. And our conscience has become that three-corner gadget described by the Indian chief as being a three-cornered gadget that turns within him. And the more it turns, the more it wears the corners off. And the more it turns, the less it hurts. And we've come from Paul's day to our day when we can do anything and nothing.
Christendom, I think, can be characterized in one word. 21st Christianity can be termed in one word, compromise. America is apostate. Churches are carnal. So carnal, we no longer pray about purchases. We no longer pray about where we send our kids to college because more than likely where they go to college is where they're going to find a mate. And when they find the wrong kind of mate, it does not work out. So they go find another mate and another mate and another mate. And what we learn from history is nothing because we're just as carnal as we can be. Saints have become scandalous. Services have become secular. Would it hurt you to say amen? I will buy some pills called amen pills. If you will just try it. You know I'm telling you the truth. You know I'm speaking the truth. Morality had become mundane. Try it. You'll like it. It's acceptable with the church down the street. And with your philosophy, it'll be accepted here in just a few years. And I'm saying to you today, the average Christian, I know you're not average. But the average Christian reminds me of the fella who was walking his dog. I found out yesterday why my neighbor walks his dog in my yard. And he was walking his dog, and he met a friend that he had known for years. And the friend looked at him and said, Say, I did not know you had a dog. The man said, Yes, I've had this dog for years. And he says, Well, what kind of dog is it? You know, you can't hardly tell anymore. Pick-a-poos. Uh, I can't say them other kind of pews, poos. And he said, what kind of dog is it? And the man straightened his clothes and reared back, and with pride he said, It's a police dog. The guy said, It don't look like no police dog to me. The guy said, Of course not. He's in the Secret Service. <laughs> Trouble is, we got too many. Christians in the Secret Service. Uh, they, they graduated from being on the front lines, walking the street with tracks in their hand and a song in their heart and a loop in their step. Now they're dressed like everybody else, going to sneak up on the devil's crowd. 
we have a blend-in kind of Christianity. We have a make-me-feel-good kind of Christianity. No wonder the psalmist said, Dear God, revive us again that thy people may rejoice not in our death but in thee. How long has it been since you just sat down and rejoiced in Jesus? How long has it been since you sat down and counted the cost of you being saved, sanctified, satisfied, justified, and one day, bless God, will be glorified? How long has it been since you just sat down and had a little talk with Jesus? Tell him all about our troubles. Oh, I think we need revival. And before we have revival, let me take a look at the text. And I got to just about preach my preach out. A lot of message left, just got no preach left. Before we have revival, we must realize our utter dependence on God. Listen to me. In Him we have life, breath, and our total existence. He pulled the plug. You go. And when he pulls the plug, you don't get a vote on it. You do realize that, don't you? You've got to realize our utter dependence on God. I found a verse this morning. And it said, chapter 17, verse 24. God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands, as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life, breath, and all things. Notice verse 13 through 16, our utter dependence on God. Now certain of the vagabond Jews, notice that word certain in your Bible. This is verse 13 of chapter number 19 of the book of Acts. Then certain of the vagabond Jews, certain, not just any of the vagabond Jews, Certain of the vagabond Jews. Seems like God had them picked out. Seems like this just didn't happen. Sounds like God knew these shiftless, irresponsible, drifting, beggarly type, religious exorcists 
took up on them. Have you ever left God out of anything and just took up on you? I probably need to say amen to that. Some of you guys, don't you wish you'd ask God about that marriage? Well, if I have a lot of kids, that'll glue us together. Don't you wish you'd have watched that commercial on Gorilla Glue before you saw that? Have you ever in your life just taken upon you without God without one prayer without one reading of the word of God without the leadership of the Holy Spirit in your life have you ever done anything that you didn't need God doing well these guys did too and they took upon them I, I like this to call over them which had evil spirits. They're idiots. Nobody needs to be messing with ghosts, especially if they're evil ones. I can imagine. And then they said, we adjourn you by Jesus whom Paul preacheth. You know why they did that? Because they had no relationship with Jesus themselves. They did not know Jesus Christ in a personal, forgiven, redemptive, salvation way. They had just heard about Jesus. I wonder, do you think maybe there's some folks around here that don't know him in a real, personal, redemptive, eternal way? Now you just know the one I preach about. I mean, you know so much about him. You've been here for years, and you've heard me preach about him. Oh, why, you know all the answers. You just don't know all the questions. And they took upon themselves. And then said, now, you come out of there in the name of Jesus who Paul preaches. Could I please say to you, flesh is no match for satanic evil activity. And if there is a Jesus, there is a devil. And if there is a Satan, there are demons, fallen evil spirits. And if they are fallen evil spirits, a lot of this stuff that we put diseases on has nothing to do with disease. They are satanic activity. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, spiritual wickedness in high places. And I got news for you. The reason you're losing the battle is because you're preaching it in the name of the fellow I've been telling you about. And to go trust him in education, talent, ingenuity, organization to fight spiritual battles with secular and carnal means is to nothing but get your clothes ripped off of you, beat down, and running down the street like a naked jaybird. 
And what is the church of the Lord Jesus doing today? Running from the Muslims? Running from the Mormons? Running from the Jehovah's Witness? Have no answer? Have no idea of what they believe or what you believe? We're busy fighting a spiritual battle with secular means, and it ain't a going to work. We're trying to build spiritual homes with carnal activities. If you need to wrap your wife in saran wrap to get you warmed up, dear God, come and see me. I need to shoot you. If you think having a happy home is living on Peyton Street, going to General Hospital, down Flamingo Road, you're going to end up in General Hospital. We had better realize this church existence is not dependent upon me, Andrew, the deacon board, or any other board. It's totally dependent upon God. And the minute we stop asking Him for His resources and His power and His presence and His blessings, we might as well shut it down because she'll run from the devil's crowd every time. We need to realize our utter dependence upon God. I'll tell you. Jesus said, without me, you know the rest of it? We go to A-A-A-B-U-L-L and everything else in the world trying to take care of our addictions. A-A-A didn't get you hooked. And the only way you can get unhooked is the unhooker's name is Jesus. You say, you're going to make me mad. Well, I'll declare. You'll be the first one in 50 years I ever touched. Are you dependent on Jesus? How long since you asked him for his help? For his instructions in righteousness? A path that you walk, the purchase you make. Oh, we are all guilty, are we not? Uh, are we not? When I used to preach it, uh, uh, let's see, what did I used to preach? Youth camps. I used to preach a lot of youth camps. Of course, I was young. And I used to talk about kids who bought cars with turkeys on the hood. Trans Am. Do you remember that? Till he made three payments. He found out the turkey wasn't on the hood. He's behind the wheel. You ever done that? You ever done that? We need to realize if we're going to have revival in this place, we're going to have to get back to trust in the Lord with all of our heart. Leaning not unto our own understanding, but in all of our ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct our paths. 
Are you listening to me now? We must realize our utter dependence on God. And you say, you must remember, it's 12 o'clock. That's the shortest introduction I've ever had to a sermon in my life. But I've got to quit. Quickly. Verse 17, believers have got to get concerned. Concerned. Verse 17 says, And this was known to all the Jews and Greeks also dwelling at Ephesus, and fear fell on them all. The name of the Lord Jesus is magnified. Jew, Gentile, rich and poor, bond and free, young and old, fear fell on them all. How can you look into the face of your little kid and not fear what's going on in this world? How can you send your little kid out there to play with boys and girls who has no structure at all in their life for his moms and dads? And let your kid listen to what they have to listen to. How do you do that without fear falling upon you? I fear the kind of world that my grandkids are going to be raised in. This is serious business, folks. I don't know if you know it or not. When those guys... Now, I'd like to know how that one guy leaked on seven. Yeah, one guy leaked on seven. I would rather have been one of the seven leaping on the one. That's what they used to call rat packing. I got initiated in that real early. But one guy surrounded seven and leaped on them, prevailed against them, overcome them. And I can see as he grabbed the last one's fruit of the looms and gave it a yank, the guy said, please don't do that. I'm a Christian. I go to church. Give me some slack. About that time, fear struck their heart. Why is it we wait till they got a hold of our last bit of sanity? And we says, now I need you, O Lord. Believers has got to get concerned. I'm concerned about the spiritual walk of the people that God has entrusted in my care. Well, I'll come church Wednesday night if I want to. I'll come when I want to. I'll miss when I want to. You need to read Hebrews. Chapter 13, verse 7, and verse 17, where it says, For I must give an account for your soul. Obey them that have the rule over you, and have preached the word of God unto you. Consider their faith, 
for they must give an account to God for your soul. One day at the general seat of Christ, I'll stand there and you'll walk by. And as much as I hate confrontation, some of you in this place know you're disrespecting me, you're disrespecting this church, you're disrespecting your God, and one of these days, I'll have to say, guilty. I'll have to give an account for myself. And I'm concerned because I want to do it with a clear conscience, saying that I delivered this book just the way it was preached, just the way it was written. I'm concerned about the evil that is around us. I'm concerned about the satanic forces that is about us. I'm concerned about God's will for us. I'm concerned about the worldliness that is in us. I'm concerned about the selfishness that motivates us. And I'm concerned about the curse of God that is upon us. I must close. Believers must confess their sins. Verse 18. The Bible said, And many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. He that confesseth their sins shall not prosper. He that covereth the sins shall not prosper. But he that confesseth and forsaketh shall find mercy. May I say in closing, you're not where you are because of your mistakes. You're where you are because of S-I-N. We need to quit calling our sin mistakes. The Bible said if we confess our mistakes, If we confess our sins, the reason we're doing what we're doing is we do not realize it is sin. And sin is agreeing with God. And when God says that it is what it is, then it, when we confess that, we are agreeing with God that it is what God says it is. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. There are not flaws in our character. They're sins. They're not simply errors in judgment. They are sins. This world has, has redefined every sin I know of. Alcoholism is now brain disease. 
I agree. You drink it, you have no brains. You say, well, what if I drink a little? Then you've got a little brain. What if I drink a lot? Then you have no brain. Where you used to have a brain, now it will hold a lot. Well, preacher, I just drink sociably. Every alcoholic I know in the world started like that. Amen. And it's a sin. Not a bad choice. It's a sin. Everything has been redefined. You know that's the truth. Either that or it's a genetic problem. Homosexuals are born homosexual. It's genetic. God didn't die for our mistakes. God died for our sins. And the blood of Christ does not wash away our mistakes. It washes away sin. And sin is what Christ died for. And until we realize our utter depart dependence on God and confess our sins, sin will run and ruin our life. And a little leaven, a little sin in the church makes the whole church sinful. And God does not have to use dirty dishes. Andrew said he drove up to a drive through restaurant the other day. He noticed that every everybody was coming out, they were vomiting. He lost his appetite. My wife went to a Chinese place in Cleburne. They were counting cockroaches running across the table. I said, I'd like to have that one medium rare. I couldn't melt and pour back in that place. Not a Chinese place anymore. It's another place. But she thinks cockroaches are genetic down there. Now, if you won't eat off dirty dishes, and you're not comfortable in a filthy cluttered home. Why should God why should God use our church when we have such a lax attitude toward mistakes wrong choices instead of sin we must confess our sins believers must confess our sins we must separate from our sins he that confesseth and forsaketh shall have mercy. Amen. Revive us again, O God, that thy people may rejoice in thee.
Before that happens, we'll have to realize revival comes from God. And Christians has got to get concerned about the state of the church, the state of our families. And we must confess that we are a part of it. And we must turn and separate ourselves from those sins. The Bible said, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. Romans 6 and verse 12. We must. The Bible says they brought all their books and all their stuff and they burned it. Forsaken that demonology, that witchcraft. Someone told me here a while back, preacher, quit preaching on the external and start preaching on the internal. And I thought to myself, why is a skunk a skunk on the outside? Do you have any idea why a skunk is a skunk on the outside? Because he's a skunk on the inside. Be sure your sins will find you out. And I don't want folk coming to this church saying this is just another skunk church. I'd like to see a smile radiate from the inside. I'd like for joy, permanent, permanent, personal joy to be restored again once to God's people. Don't have to beg you to sing in the choir. Don't have to beg you to usher. Don't have to treat you special to get you to tithe. You just do it because you love Jesus. Because there's something burning deep in your soul, and it's a love for God and I love to see people say, you remember that? Verse 20, look in your Bible, we're done. What will happen when people realize it all depends on God, they get concerned about sin, they confess their sin, they forsake their sin, and the Word of God grew out. Verse 20, and mightily grew the word of God, and what? Prevailed. You know what prevail means? It touched my children just like it touched me. It worked on my kids just like it worked on me. That's prevailing. I've always said this is a good place to raise kids. I want it to stay a good place to raise kids. We'll have to have revival. 